This is episode 37 of the Juicebox podcast, and it is sponsored today by Insulate, makers of the Omnipod system, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. You are in for a treat today. Today's episode is a conversation with Jennifer Smith. Jennifer is, well, let's see. Jennifer holds a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She's a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, a certified trainer. I believe she is also wonderful. I don't know if you can get certified in that. Jenny works for Integrated Diabetes. It's a company that you would contact and say, hey, you know, I have questions about my diabetes care and they help you and they have in-depth understandings of how your insulin pump works, how to read and use glucose, um, you know, continuous glucose monitoring data. This, this is next level diabetes care, really fine tuning how you do things. And what I did today was I took Jenny and I said, look, here's some things that I figured out on my own that I share with people and, um, help me fine tune it. Like see, see where I'm going wrong. And, um, so we talked about some things that you're going to just love. You know, I, I can't even go over all of it with you. Just trust me. Just listen to it all the way through. If you are managing type 1 diabetes for yourself or someone else, this episode is must-listen podcasting. Absolutely is. Just a reminder that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making a change in your healthcare plan. This one's going to be a treat for you. Okay, hold on. That's text messages, not Skype. Hey, here's Skype. Ready? get my chair in the right place. Hello. Jenny Smith, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Delightful. Thank you. So um, this is the quickest podcast interview I've ever put together. Oh, really? I know. I was listening to the one that you did with Ginger. It was really, really funny. You're like, I totally don't plan anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got married within like a week of proposing and, you know, and getting married and you're very funny. Jenny, about 45 minutes ago, I'm like, I'm going to go take a shower and think about what to talk to Jenny about. <laughs> and then I got in the shower and spent the first few minutes. Well, first of all, I'm going to admit something to you right now. It's something I don't do very often that threw me completely off. I put the conditioner in before the shampoo. <laughs> it really messed me up for a couple minutes. I can't lie to you. But um, annoying? I've done that before, too, like actually at the gym. Um, when you're kind of just fumbling and you want to get done with your shower and get out and you're kind of like, oh my God, my feet are touching the floor where 30 <laughs> other people's feet have touched the floor and you know, <laughs> yeah, I just, I put it in and then I was like, this whole thing is just a waste of my time. Like I felt like I should rub it out with a dry towel and just give <laughs> up, you know? Um, but nevertheless, I bounced back, Jenny. I don't want you to think it, it kept me down. I then yeah. spent the next couple of minutes dutifully thinking about a book I want to write instead of what I was going to tell you to say right. to you. <laughs> well, no, you know, everything, I, I heard something not too long ago about kind of, uh, you know, priorities. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to do that. And truly what people are saying is that's not a priority for me. Right. It's if there's time for something, you've made time to do it. And... So it's all about prioritizing, in my opinion. So, so now you sound like my wife when I tell her that there's no time to put holiday lights on the front of the house because, <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, so but, it's not a priority for you, right? So I think that m my nature is um, 
going to be a great lead in for our conversation. So let's start like this, right? You're Jennifer Smith, but you work for a guy who in the diabetes world, if I say his first name, 98% of people fill in his last name. So tell me where you work and what you do first. So I work for Gary Shiner. (gasps) Gary? No, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know. I know. know. Actually, the funny thing is, is, you know what? I'll I'll email people when he's on like leave or vacation or conferences that he, you know, speaks at. And I'll say, hey, I'm Jenny. I'm, you know, I work for Gary and I'm filling in. I'm answering all the emails and, you know, whatnot for um, backup. And Gary will email me back and like, you don't work for me. You work with me. He's he's awesome. I um, tried to say that to Ginger, and she she corrected me, which is what led me down this path. I'm like, doesn't Jenny work with Gary? And she goes, for Gary. I'm like, oh, Gary gets a lot of referential treatment. <laughs> and it'll be, it's honestly, it's Gary who's the one who's like, you know, we all work together. We are a team. And and it's true. Our, um, at Integrated, we, there are three of us. There's myself, and I'm a dietitian, diabetes educator. And then there's Gary, and he's an exercise physiologist um, and diabetes educator. And then we've had Lisa, and she's a nurse diabetes educator. Okay. So and we w- kind of have a really nice, unique team. We all have diabetes. Um, and with that, our strengths are um, well, we can run the gamut of stuff as far as education for people about diabetes. I think we all have strengths in different places. Mm-hmm. And so with that, all of our clients at some point get touched by each of us, um, which is it's kind of a nice way to be able to work together on a team. And you cover bases that way, too. And we cover bases that way. And it's truly, I think, um, from the standpoint of having a job, it's definitely a this career in in what I'm doing right now with Integrated is absolutely by far my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. It's been the best place. Um, I get to work from home, so who doesn't love that? I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> yes. Um, so I don't even work. You know, I'm remotely close to our office, which is in Philly. Right. Um, you know, I I live in Madison in Wisconsin, and I work from home every day, which is fabulous. Um, And I I think the nice thing, too, is that we get to reach people all over the globe um, because we do education remotely via Skype and FaceTime and telephone and conference call and whatever works to contact people. That's how we work. Yeah, the Internet (laughs) definitely makes the world smaller. And that is fantastic. So what you guys have is it's a private business, right? It is. It's a private. Yep. Mm -hmm. And if I'm having trouble or concerns or questions about the management of my diabetes, you guys walk me through it. That's correct. In all, you know, in all ways, I guess, would be the easiest way to, to, to kind of describe it because we we really work with very intensively managed. So most of our clients use a pump or are on multiple daily injections, are very, you know, intensively managed. I would say most of our clients, most being about 95 to 98% are mm. type 1. Okay. Um, we have a small population of people who have type two, um, that we work with, which is great. And we're certainly not you know, opposed to working with any type of diabetes. Um, we have a really good amount of people too, who are adults who are diagnosed. So kind of in the LADA category, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, great. And I think, you know, I, I just interviewed a woman a couple of weeks ago who was diagnosed when she was like 59 uh-huh. with type one. And she's just phenomenal how she's how she's dealing with it but 
Yeah. Um, but she, her, her brother was diagnosed when they were little kids. And she said, okay. I just thought, you know, I thought I made it, you know, like they told, they used to tell us 30 years old, like you couldn't, you know, if you were, over, you you made, that, right? <laughs> yeah, like you beat diabetes. If you, if you made it past 30 years old, you weren't going to get type one diabetes. And she said, but anyway, I'm sorry. She had a great attitude and, but I can see where that would be really helpful, especially the longer you've lived without it. The adjustments must be pretty, pretty, I mean, I would think they're difficult. They are difficult, I think, because, you know, kids are, you know, we say that kids are like sponges as far as their age of being able to learn and absorb information at that young age. Kind of the same thing is true for change. Kids are very malleable. They are willing to change. And if something, you know, is moved or adjusted or whatnot, they haven't really gotten into an adulthood of pattern yet. Um, whereas as adults, there are a lot of things that we have to get done, right? We have a lot of time specific things in our schedules. We've got a lot of things that we have to pay for and take care of and manage and food becomes kind of part of that. And, um, what we do with our day-to-day life becomes part of that. So as an adult, I think diagnosis is definitely harder. Yeah, I mean, Arden was diagnosed when she was, it was a couple weeks after her second birthday. So when sometimes people say to me, like, well, how do you get her to do that? I tell them, like, you know, we set a precedence and she doesn't know anybody. Like, she doesn't remember not having diabetes. She doesn't know the difference. Yeah, and and, and we set a precedence coming out the door. Like, you know, I think I've put it a, a number of different ways on this podcast. But basically, if when I was a kid, I grew up right outside of Philadelphia. So okay. I'm, I'm aware of where Gary is. Okay. And, and so I kind of have that vibe, like that, that kind of blue collar kind of Philadelphia vibe I grew up with. Oh, you know what, Jen? Give me one second. No, you, no, can, no. Uh, you can be with me here while I pre-bolus Arden for her lunch. Fabulous. Arden's blood sugar is 91 right now. Awesome. Uh-huh. She's going to begin eating in 20 minutes. I'm pretty sure her lunch is around 65 carbs. Okay. And in a second, she's going to tell me how much 65 carbs is. Then I'm going to manually bump it up probably to somewhere where I actually want it to be. And then she's going to, um, she's going to bolus with her Omnipod. And then she leaves, like I said, about 15 minutes from now. And she walks to the, um, uh, she's in class still. She's in science right now. Okay. And so she'll go down to, um, oh, she just said, okay, bye. (laughs) Cause I didn't ask her how much insulin it was. (laughs) She's just like, all good brother. See ya. And, um, and, and how old is she now? 11. 11. Okay. Yeah. But, but so to the point, right, is that we set a precedence, right? I, I always think back and I think that if, if, if I went to the doctor as a child and the doctor said, look, here's, you know, here's the answer. There's this pill and Scott has to take it for 10 days. It's pretty big and he's going to have trouble swallowing. My father would, you know, would make me swallow the pill. <laughs> he wouldn't, if I got home and I was like, oh, it's too big or I can't, I can't imagine my dad looking at me and going, oh, well, that's okay then. Right, you, you, you don't have to take it. Yeah, fine. Right. And so, and so kind of with diabetes, that's sort of the edge we have, which is, I know this isn't fun. I know you don't particularly enjoy it, but this is what we're going to do. I get that you're hungry right now. I'm hungry too. So I'm not going to eat either, but we are still pre-bolusing for this meal. Like everyone's just going to wait 15 minutes, you know, like that kind of stuff. And you set that precedence early on and then it grows with her. And now that's our expectation, you know? And that's Um, kind of how it was too. When I was um, diagnosed, Uh, you know, my, my parents went about it as 
this is everything that needed to be changed, let's say, was changed for the family. Yeah, sure. It wasn't changed for me if I needed, um, like you said, kind of a pre-bolus or I needed to wait because my blood sugar was high and we wanted it to come down a bit before I started eating. Everybody did. It's not that I just had to. Yeah, I mean, we're a family. It's like it's all for one and one for all. Like we're, you know, we're we're all in this together. My son's 15. He's going to be 16 in the, you know, in the early part of 2016. And maybe there was once or twice when he would look at me and go, well, you know, my blood sugar is not high. And I'd be like, dude, shut up. You know, like, like <laughs> I'm not even going to bother explaining this to you. Just your sister needs a couple of minutes. We all, you know, I, and then I'd say to him, look, it might not be diabetes, but think about all the time she stood on a baseball field to watch you play baseball. She wasn't looking to do that. You, you know, like we're all here to help each other. And so um, anyway, so here's what I was thinking. And tell me if this makes sense to you. Yeah. I think I've come to a lot of the a lot of the understandings about managing Arden's type 1 diabetes very slowly and without much of a medical background and I'm also a little stubborn so I haven't read books or anything like that. These are trial and error, you know, life yeah. in the simulator ways. But yeah. I would love it if we could spend the rest of this time because I think it would be helpful to the people who listen to the podcast who already know how I handle things. You tell me what I could be doing better. Does that make sense? Sure. Do you like that idea? You're kind of an analysis of what you're doing and what to change a bit. Yeah, I like that sure. idea. Right, yeah. right? Okay, so here's, let me overview you for me. Sure. Okay, Arden wears an Omnipod insulin pump. Woohoo, so do I. D- delightful. And she, um, and actually Omnipod sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. Um, <laughs> and um, she wears a Dexcom, right now it's a G5 uh, continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. Waiting until my my warranty is up in December, and I didn't want to pay for the upgrade. Here's, so the, here, I'll just wait. here's the thing. Here's what you get, and I haven't done a review of it yet. You don't have to carry the receiver anymore, right? Nah, that's pretty much it. And but there's a there's more. Don't get me wrong, but that's the big one. You know, so she's using the G5. Um, nice. She's been using uh, CGM since seven plus. Okay. And she's been on Omnipod since she was four. Okay. And so. Um, so almost I've been on Omnipod since two thousand six. Oh, wow. Yeah, you guys are right around the same time, actually. And yeah. so, um, and she uses a Pedra. Nice. Okay. So, that's pretty much the understanding you have. Now, um, Arden is not much of a sweets kid, although right. she's not, not a sweets kid. Um, she does like her carbs. I believe there was bread and mashed potatoes at dinner last night. Yeah. Um, and we don't limit too greatly. I mean, to say that, you know, we don't limit food. We don't really limit food at all. And mm-hmm. at the same time, if her blood sugar was 200 and we were leaving the mall and she pointed to like a ice cream frappuccino, it, you know, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd say no. And, but I probably would say, listen, that's not good for anybody, not right. just you, you know, excuse me. And we would move on. Um, I do manage 24 hours a day because I see overnights as this great gap of time where there's no food. And as long as you're not afraid of lows, and the CGM definitely helps me, you know, belay okay. that fear. Mm-hmm. I don't like giving away 10 hours to a, a 180 blood sugar just because it's simpler, you, you, you know. Um, right. So I am a little tired. <laughs> that might be important to know. Um, <laughs> and what and sleep did you get last night? <laughs> oh my god, at least four and a half or five hours. And so, um, <laughs> and and Arden is not much of a breakfast eater during. So her blood sugars at school in the morning are not particularly difficult to manage. Um, she is 
growing and maturing quickly. And I do think like the last week or so of her life was um, kind of overwhelmed with growth. Like every time, every time she says her ankles hurt, I know she's getting taller and then I know I'm not going to sleep as much. Um, I spent about the last seven days, you know, just dumping insulin on her and not really seeing much of an effect of it. And was it an all day, you know, growth, um, hormones for kids typically have kind of a time of day that they're heaviest. Um, but some kids experience it kind of across the board. So does she have a standard that happens when you see she's growing? What I saw on her CGM graph was this, is that normally twice a day, if there's going to be peaks in her blood sugar, they happen twice a day. Um, and instead of being very in range and having two peaks, two, two like spikes, we had two moments of being in range and everything else was high. Was high. Okay. Yeah. So she's kind of an across the board sort of 24 hour growth hormone. A absolutely. And I was like, you know, like some, some perspective, I think Arden weighs about 68 pounds. So uh, she's tiny. She's lean and she's lean on top of it. And she's, and you know, if, if Arden's blood sugar is 200, a unit of insulin would be too much. And, but during these peaks, I was giving her two and three and four units at a time just to get her to move. Okay. You know, she was, she was hydrated and everything. Um, I am really aggressive with insulin. Okay. And I do that, um, you know, with, with, you know, the idea that I, I, and I think it's safe because you've got a CG. Right. I would never say to somebody, just pour it on if they didn't, if they weren't able to see their blood sugars, you sure. know, you know, but, um, but so that's sort of how I go. But having said that I have no technical or scientific rhyme or reason for why I do anything. It's all just what I've figured out about how Arden's body reacts to the carbs and the insulin. Well, and I think previous experience teaches a lot. And I think, um, Kind of going back to why we work with a lot of the clients that come to us is because they've had the unfortunate experience of going to clinicians who have the clinical, they've got the book background, they've got the physiology of the body, and this is what happen it happens if you do this, this is what should happen. But that's not living diabetes 24 hours a day, two o'clock in the morning, this is what happens. They don't see that. It's and not even close. It's, 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 not. it's, it's a, it's like a, it's like a dummy speed limit on a corner. Like I talk about that right. all the time. Like, you know, 35 miles an hour is for the slowest, junkiest, oldest car on the road. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. And, and if, you know, other people could probably go through that corner like 65 and be like, I have no problem with this. And, and so they least common denominator, everything. Absolutely. And what it yeah. leads to is a lot of high blood sugars for a lot of people. Correct. And sustained high blood sugars um, out of a rule of, of keeping things, um, quote unquote, safe. Um, and safe may not be healthy long term. Um, it may be it, it's something that makes it honestly makes parents a little bit more, I guess, feel a little bit better, feel a little bit more safe. Yeah. But long term, you know what what you're doing with with your daughter is much better um, because you're paying attention. And yes, right now, you might be more tired, especially with the overnights and stuff. Um, but I think with what it sounds like, she's, she's not struggling with how you're managing with her, correct? Well, she, she's asleep overnight. Uh, Arden can drink a juice box in her sleep and not recognize that it's happening. Not remember. Yeah, right. And so her life's pretty, pretty good. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not, it, it, I mean, listen, here, here's how I kind of think of it. Like, I know some people might say, oh, she's 11, she should be very involved. Arden is involved, 
but she's involved to the extent of the way I parent about every issue, which is I'm not just going to one day look at my son, push his laundry into his room and go, you know what? This is on you now. Like, like, you know, like I have very slowly over years been like, you know, I started off with, Hey, bring me your dirty clothes. Hey, you know what? Your dirty clothes are they're They're folded in here. Um, can you carry him into your room? You know, when he was little, I'll put them away. Now he puts them away and now he's learning, you know, and, and, and slowly giving over tasks slowly. I don't see diabetes as anything different than that. It's not, it's not that someday you would ever dump that in a lap and say, Hey, you've been watching me now take over. Yeah. And so she gets it little by little and I can see it every once in a while, even in little moments when I'm like, Hey, bowl is for 65 carbs. And, you know, we'll play the like, you know, I wonder how much insulin that's going to be or, or something like that. Or, you know, hey, we bolus two hours ago. Remember that? I wonder what your blood sugar is right now. That kind of stuff. And as you're doing that, you can see you're picking it up quicker than I even think it's happening sometimes, sure. you know. And then that's that's kind of how that's how I see it. So And a lot of diabetes management, as you've obviously, you know, found over the years with her, a lot of management is a it's almost a sixth sense that comes once you have had years of understanding fluctuations and their personal fluctuations. And that's why, again, I I think when, especially when I'm working with um, people, you can say, well, this is where we would start for adjustments, or this is where we would start to do some analysis and some evaluation for some change. But know that these are just starting places. You will need to evaluate and do your own um, as kind of taking from from Ginger um, her own science experiments, right? Her whole book on doing that. Life with diabetes truly is sort of a series of your own science experiment. And I think in the child years, especially and through the teen years, um, those experiments are more mainly because there is such a rapid change that's happening. Once once we kind of get into adulthood, those changes should not be as frequent unless you've truly got a very unstructured life. Yeah, and diet, right? Also. And, and diet yeah. and and there's just nothing that's kind of set in stone from a day-to-day basis. Right, um right. Yeah. and some people that is the case, but for the most part, um, you know, if, from what you're looking at, you're using your CGM data. That's some of the best information that you can use um, for changes. Depending on you know growth patterns, your guesstimate to how much to kind of use could come from analyzing previous growth and seeing. So if you marked on the calendar, um, again, this this takes a little bit of planning. <laughs> Right. I know. Well, see what I can do. <laughs> um, but, you know, even a calendar, most people have like a wall calendar or something. Do they? You know, no, in I'm just kidding. Their house or on their desk <laughs> or in their phone or something. And, you know, if you can mark down and say, okay, this looked like it was like a seven day period of growth. This is about how much extra insulin it looked like I was needing just to keep her underneath 200. Um, so the next time that comes, it's a little bit less of a guesstimate. How much of um of day-to-day management do you find is like I, I always you know, like the other day Arden was out with, with her mom and, and they were one place and we were another and, and I texted and it's such a hard thing because you don't want to step on someone else's to your spouse's toes while they're taking yeah. care of it. But I texted and I was like, you know, she needs insulin. And she's like, I gave it to her and I said, How much? And she told me and I'm like, more. 
And she was like, based on what? I'm like, based on it needs to be more, you, you know, like, like <laughs> based on my feeling that it needs to be more just, and, and that's a really strange thing. And like, some of these are intuitive feelings. Yeah. And you're watching a CGM. You're seeing, okay, the insulin was put in here. It looks like she was here before the insulin and she's still here. And it doesn't look like it's fluxing or changing. And with the kind of insulin she uses, a pedra, technically that's supposed to have a little bit of a faster response um, than some of the other, um, you know, rapid insulin. Yeah, and, it's, and it's funny, I don't see it as, I, I guess it is faster. Like it begins to work sooner, I guess, huh? but I see it more as steadier. Like, more steady. That's okay. what it's been for us. It, it's the two arrows up, two arrows down. Okay. Lifestyle is gone with the Petra for us. Okay. Yeah, and that's how it's working best. And I'm sure it works differently in a bunch of other people. I also, yeah. th I also don't think we get as much time out of our pods because of it. Um, huh. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is, um, I bail on I bail on pump sites pretty quickly if they're <laughs> if they're not working. Um, but sometimes it's so difficult to see the difference between a site that's kind of gone bad and, you know, just you miscounted carbs or something like that. And so, I, you know, I don't do it right away, but I'm not a fan of watching my daughter's blood sugar be high for three and four hours, you, I, you know. And so... Um, in general, rule of thumb with any pump, regardless of the brand that yeah. you're using, is if you have a, a blood sugar that's high... And it's an odd high, meaning you've gone up after something that has been eaten before very similarly, and it's much higher, or it looks like it's a high that's more rapid. Um, those are kind of those intuitive feelings that you have that something is just not right. Um, and or our recommendation is that you correct the high. And if it doesn't start to change within an estimated amount of time, you test again. If it's still high or it's higher, you change it. Okay. You may not have gotten an occlusion alert. You may not have gotten a pump error or anything wrong. But as soon as you get that high blood sugar, you've corrected and nothing is changing. And nothing else is out of the ordinary like stress or illness, let's say. Then you change it out. You don't wait. Right. That's definitely how. I mean, and sometimes in that specific situation... If the pop, if the pump's been on for a pretty short amount of time, sometimes I'll bolus with a needle just mm -hmm. to check to see if it was the pot or not. But that's not even a perfect situation because you you might not be getting your background insulin either. So, <laughs> you know, but but yeah, I just don't like I have a basic concept and tell me if how right I am about this because here's something I say a lot. Much easier to affect a low or falling blood sugar than to affect a high blood sugar. Do you find that to be true? Like it's easier to stop a falling blood sugar or adjust a low one than it is to get a 300 down to where you want it. Correct. Okay. And the higher the blood sugar, the more true that is. Um, what we usually find is anything kind of under that two, 220 to 240 mark technically reacts better to corrective insulin um, or even if you bolus using an injection versus using the pump. Um, but when you are truly in an F, an insulin deficit sort of place, that's usually when you're above 240. And it's definitely going to take a bit more insulin possibly than what your correction tells you. And the main reason is if it was an odd high blood sugar, like you just said, you might have also been missing basal insulin besides a bolus. If that makes sense. Yeah, I just, I can't. 
I, I mean, I've, I've just spent too many six hour portions of my life going, here's insulin. Oh, that didn't work. We'll wait to see if it's going to work. And then here's more. God, it didn't work again. The next thing you know, you're six hours into this problem. You know, I can't do that anymore. And I just, and I will, to be perfectly honest, like I, so you were with me at 91 was Arden's blood sugar. Right. Just on a CGM before she ate before lunch. Right. Mm -hmm. So we pre-bolused at 91. She's steady still and 83 now. And she's now seated and eating. Yes. So my goal is that in the next 10 minutes, her blood sugar is about 75 diagonal down as the food starts to kind of work. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, as the carbs start kind of getting absorbed and doing their thing. Does that seem okay to you? And as long as the food, that seems okay to me, yes, as a short answer, as a little bit more in-depth answer, I would say it also may have relevance to the content of what she is eating. Because, because we need to work in a certain amount of time. Exactly. The right. food needs to go in. It needs to be being digested in a certain amount of time. So if she's eating something like a Let's say she's eating a typical sandwich and, you know, some fruit and, you know, typical kind of kid fare. That's going to that's going to work. The way that you've planned it, absolutely going to work. Now, if she was sitting down to buy black bean chili that I make, which is very low glycemic, and I actually bolus for that over an hour. Okay. I use an extended bolus rather than anything up front because of the way that it digests. Mm -hmm. I would say your strategy may actually have her low for quite a bit before that food starts to get in. Right. And and so it is very – and so I am using this as – and you're right today. She's got she's got a juice box. It's low. It's got eight carbs in it. She's got a handful of grapes, which okay. God knows how many carbs are in them. Let's say five. Um, she's got a quarter of a sandwich. Grand carb per grape. A, a, a carb per grape? Carb per grape. Okay. Yep. Okay, so I'm probably right about saying about five. And then she's got a quarter of a sandwich um, with Nutella on it. So, um, and she has something else. It's kind of a cookie thing that has about 18 carbs in it. Um, so she's pretty carby, and it's yeah. it's a little bit more processed carb. Mm -hmm. It's not as slow. Right, It's going, and I'm expecting it to work quickly. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. So your pre-bolus was spot on with decision. You ready for an ad? Of course you are. November is Diabetes Awareness Month, and there are a lot of pretty compelling reasons to choose Omnipod for your insulin needs, starting with the freedom you'll experience. Then there's the convenience and the control. Omnipod gives you or your child the freedom to do what you want, when you want, sleep in, exercise, and just live life on your own terms because you don't want to be tethered to your insulin pump or a schedule. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it for yourself. You can go ahead and, and get a free demo kit, including a sample non-functioning pod by going to www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo, and you can see what you think of it. There's absolutely no obligation. Look, here's the thing. I only took the ad from Omnipod because I believe in it so strongly. You know, if you hear any ads on the Juice Box podcast, they're going to be because I have the utmost respect in the company, um, in the product, and I have firsthand knowledge of of the efficacy of what they're doing. I, I'm telling you that the Omnipod is a huge part of how we keep my daughter healthy, how we keep her A1C low. You know, and you're listening to Jenny right now, who, you know, is a CDE. She's a person who talks about diabetes care, you know, at the next level. And she's told you already, and if she hasn't told you already, it's coming in a second. She's going to tell you she wears an Omnipod since 2006, I think she said. I just think 
if you're looking for an insulin pump and you think an insulin pump is right for you, it really would be worth your while to investigate Omnipod. So again, um, go ahead and visit www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo and, and give the free demo pod a try. I mean, it can't hurt to try. It's, you know, the more information you have, the better decision you're going to make. So now here's something that happens to me sometimes in the same situation at lunch. Let's say it's the same lunch, but it's 20 minutes before lunch and her blood sugar is, let's say it's 78. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a little worried. I don't want to give her... I don't want to give her four or five units of insulin, have her wait around for 20 minutes and then start eating. Cause then I think she's going to be in the sixties by the time she starts eating or maybe, you know, maybe a little lower that I'm uncomfortable with while she's at school. Yep. So there are two options in that case. Go ahead. One is deliver the bolus that um, you're recommending or that the pump is suggesting deliver it over 30 minutes. The whole thing, because sometimes I bolus like 40 or 50% of it now and the mm-hmm. balance over the, like a half an hour. Like a half hour to an and hour. That makes sense to me, except she gets high after I do that. Okay, so the, and that that would have been my other suggestion. It would either be bolus the whole amount over a half hour, knowing that she's got about twenty minutes of insulin that's just drip, drip, dripping in before she actually starts to eat, and she is on the lower end already. So you don't want that bolus up front, which is going to have much more oomph. Sure. Than a drip drip of insulin. Because if you imagine that drip drip of insulin truly isn't going to have as much upfront effect, it's going to be active more into the time that she's already started eating comparative to the upfront bolus. And the reason you're doing the pre bolus with the whole thing upfront is so that she has it active by the time she takes that first bite of food. And and that leads me to a different question, which is are very small boluses how to say this, can they be less effective than larger ones? Like, did you ever, did you ever see an, ins- like a, a blood sugar that's, you know, let's say it's 130 and you want to bump it, but because she's so little, you know, you're giving 0.15, but it never really moves off of the 130. Mm-hmm. Is there something to that? Cause I always feel like there's something to that, but do you see like, like if I were to give her a unit right then she'd be 50 in an, in a half an hour. But right. if I, but if I give her 0.15, nothing happens. So I guess the it's actually a really good question because, um, you know, as people become adults, we use more insulin. Doses will get larger. Right. And what we've actually seen is, and there was a paper on this quite a while ago already about the dose effect of, of insulin, rapid insulin for like a bolus. Um, the larger the bolus, if you imagine injecting five units into like a marble size little ball. Okay. You can imagine that insulin is made of lots of little particles, right? Yeah. Five units is going to be very, very densely packed in that little tiny ball. And so the particles that are closer to the outside of the marble are going to get absorbed first. And the ones inside to the very center of that marble are going to have to wait for those outer, outer particles to get absorbed before right. they have action. Right. So you can see that larger boluses actually have, they have a, sometimes a slower effect, but they could be longer lasting. Whereas smaller boluses are less densely packed with particles. One unit into that same little marble-sized ball 
more particles are going to have the ability to touch cells and get absorbed faster. So with your experience with, let's say, 0.15 of a unit for a blood sugar that you want to just bump down slightly, it may be that it's something relative to something else that's happening in the time period. Maybe it's 130 and it's kind of stable there because she had something that was fattier. So maybe that 0.15 isn't quite enough to offset whatever's in the background that's keeping her at 130. Okay. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And it very nicely leads me into a next question, which is why I don't have to plan these things. <laughs> if you're having a, a nice conversation, it leads from one to the next. It's just a conversation. That's all. Right. It's going to work. So here's something I don't understand at all. When I hear people say, oh, you're having this trouble, add a protein to that. Oh, you're having this trouble, add a fat to that. Do that. I have no thoughts about that whatsoever. Like, I don't know. I don't know the first thing about that concept that proteins or fats affect how your blood sugar may or may not be. And could you give like a, like a high level overview of that idea? Yeah. So proteins and fats are different, let's say structures than carbs. Carbs are really easy for your body to break apart. If you imagine um, like a pearl necklace. Okay. And each little pearl is like a, a, a glucose. Okay. Or a, a, a sugar. And so your body, when it gets it into the digestive system, it can easily like slash, slash, slash in between each of those little glucose. It breaks it up. It gets it into the bloodstream and it does its business. It raises the blood sugar and it's in and out. It's kind of a quick and quick thing. When and is it possible in those simple sugar situations that you don't really need carbs or um, insulin? Excuse me. Like I feel like sometimes... There's some such simple, like like a popsicle or something like that. Like you'll see a spike, but then it comes back on its own sometimes. Or insulin that covers those carbs seems unnecessary. That might be relative more to what's happening around the situation. Usually, and I bring it up mainly because like a popsicle, for your example, is usually consumed on a nice summer day when a child has been pretty active you may see a little bit of a bump like that and it may come back down, but it has relevance to what the background insulin is doing. You could have needed those carbs to begin with and without that popsicle might have gone lower. Okay. True. Um, Usually quick carbs though, if it's truly a simple carb, like you said, a popsicle, a sucker, a piece of candy, um, many times because of the fast action of simple carb, when it's not consumed with fats or proteins or other food nutrients that take longer to digest and break down, the insulin could seem to have a bit of a faster effect than you would normally see in a combo situation. Okay, so your question is absolutely, it's, it's, um, it's good observation, I would say, very good observation. Um, and it's just something to pay attention to and watch. You know, if she likes a popsicle like that, and it's you know a day when she's actually just sitting around and not doing very much. Maybe if you see that up down, maybe she only needs half what she would normally, what you would normally count, even if she's just sitting around. Um, so again, that's where kind of the personal look at what effect happen can make a difference um, individual to individual. Um, But proteins and fats definitely are a bit different um, sort of structure. Uh, Fats are very, very 
dense, um, which is why we get more than two times the amount of um, calories per gram of fat than we get with proteins and carbs. So fats are about nine calories per gram, whereas proteins and carbs are four calories per gram. Okay. Um, So fats densely packed with good nutrition. We don't want to be fat free. But when we have a high fat environment, let's say you go out for like awesome John's pizza and it's like really, really got a lot of cheese on it and you can see the fat on the top of it and the crust has cheese stuffed into it and uh, or like mac and cheese or a burger and fries or Alfredo sauce, those kinds of things. Fats, unfortunately, we're not taught that, that we require insulin to cover fat because fat isn't sugar, right? But fat can have long lasting effects in the body because it causes something that we call insulin resistance. Um, it's almost like fat sits on the insulin and let's say your basal rate is running at 0.5 in the time period where fat is active. The fat makes it seem like your basal is only running at 0.25. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in a fat rich environment, we may actually need to bump up. That's a good use of our temporary basal. We would need to bump our background basal up for many hours, usually six to eight hours after consuming a high fat meal in order to offset the sustained high we would otherwise see from the fat. And that percentage that you would bump the temp basal, that would be trial and error probably. It is, you, you know, what we start with is a 50%. Okay. At the end of a high fat meal, you turn your basil up 50% and you set it for about six to eight hours post meal to run. I usually recommend when playing with that to do it at a lunch meal, especially for kids. So you're not asleep. Lunch meal, so you're not asleep while it's happening. Okay, so, the, so then this leads me into something that I don't think gets used enough by people and it's amazing is, is temporary basil rates. Yeah, so, there's a lot of reasons to use temp get, basil. Yes. And the first reason I got excited about getting an insulin pump to begin with was the idea that when Arden was very tiny and very young, I'd always have these feelings like I wish there was a switch to shut off her Levomir when she was using a slow acting insulin that was injected. And now that kind of exists sometimes. Sometimes when she's in bed, like last night was a great example. She was 91 at like 1130. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this 91 is not going to hold up overnight. Like, you, you know, and so I just shut her basal off for a half an hour. And mm-hmm. she just sort of drifted up to 110. Okay. And and that and that worked. But my question is specifically is when I increase a temp basal or decrease a temp basal in real time, say I do it at noon, mm-hmm. when does that effect actually start happening? Yeah, that's great. So when you uh, when you change temp basal, you can assume that it takes a minimum of 30 minutes typically about 60 minutes to be effective in the circulating insulin level in your bloodstream. So that's why we say, you know, again, good recommendation by many endos is, oh, just turn your pump off when you're going to go and run. Well, unfortunately, if I turn my pump off, one, that's going to affect me well after my run. But two, it's not going to affect my blood sugar, what's happening to my blood sugar during activity, during the activity, because I've missed the boat. It's such a ham-fisted statement, isn't it? Like it's, it's more, that statement more says, Hey, if you shut the pot off, you probably won't die while you're running. 
It, right? <laughs> Isn't that really what they're saying? Like, like you know, forget health. Forget you understanding the management of this. This is probably going to keep you from going face down in a cul-de-sac. In a cul-de-sac. Right. right. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's usually, I mean, the recommendation is at least 30 minutes, if not 60, um, especially for adults. It, it's typically 60 minutes is needed to elicit that change in circulating insulin level. And that's the case of whether you're turning your basal down or turning your basal up. Okay. That, that 30 minutes to, to um, that, an 30 hour. minutes to an hour. Like I know presentations, um, I've given um, presentations at many conferences and the adrenaline, the stress of that, while I enjoy doing it, have no problem doing it, standing up in front of 700 people at a major national conference is kicks it up a little bit, right? Pretty good stress, yeah. right? And it can kick my blood sugar up. So having I experienced that, and I also experienced the typical rise that I've seen from that. I will usually turn my basil up about an hour prior to my presentation, and I will keep it raised through about 50% of the way through through my presentation. So if my presentation is for an hour, let's say I'll run that temp basil increase for about an hour and a half to get me through that halfway point knowing that that circulating insulin level is still going to be high until almost the end of my presentation and a little bit beyond. I can't imagine anybody listens to this and thinks that a glucose monitor is not something you should be walking out of the hospital with when you're diagnosed. In what? fact, one yeah. of the things that when we um, when when we get clients who are on MDI um, and do not want the connection of a pump, let's say, my biggest recommendation is an, a CGM. I don't care which one you choose. Um, although, you know, we really like Dexcom. (laughs) I always say this too. If you can only have one, take the glucose monitor. Choose the CGM. Yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. Choose the CGM. I know a lot of the the women that I work with through their pregnancies, um, if they either can't get or don't have access to getting a pump, we need to have a CGM. I don't care how you get it. Um, what ropes your doctor has to pull or cut or whatever. It happened, yeah. We need to get a CGM because we need to see what's going on so that we can control better. Um, and in Ginger herself, I think when you talk to her, she mentioned the fact that you know her her MDI, her multiple daily injections during the course of her pregnancy, escalated considerably. But yeah. she could do it and she could manage it. She could micromanage. I mean, she was doing many, many, many little tiny She was injections. shooting more injections. Yeah. But she could do it because she had a CGM to show her how to do it. Right, right. Yeah, and if you're not trying to avoid the ins- the, the needle sticks, then right. th- as long as you can see it, you can see it. It's just – it's. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. What we're talking about, the roller coasters and putting insulin in before and after and spacing and all this stuff. Like if you can't see what your blood sugar is doing, that's how people end up erring on the side of caution. And in their mind, caution means higher. Higher. And, yeah, and then what happens is, is your kid didn't pass out today, but 15 years from now, we're not sure what's going to happen. And right. and that's not, that's not a way to live. And, and that's not managing this. That's just cross the bridge when you come to it, which is a terrible way to live your life. Never say we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Because often you get to the bridge and it's like broken. And <laughs> you, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and you have I no plan. I work with a lot of athletes as well. Mm-hmm. And athletes who have all of the fancy gadgets, you know, they've yeah. got the heart rate monitor, they've got the pump that does this and it connects to that and they've got the CGM. But they're not, I think a big piece behind this is data. If you aren't looking at data or don't know how to look at your data and pull the necessary information out of it, then 
what good are the instruments that you're using? How is that new Clarity software? I haven't installed it yet. So far, I've only used the um, the mobile app, which is a very like one day snapshot thing. But is it, do you find it to be good? You know, the Clarity um, that I've gotten so far from clients who are on the G5 and have sent me their Clarity reports to look at, um, the reports are fine. Um, in a in a perfect world, I think. They could be better. Okay. And I tell you why I'm asking, because tomorrow I'm talking to the guy that runs the software for Dexcom. Ah. So what do you want me to tell him? Go ahead. I'm writing a note. Yeah. So I think the drawbacks to clarity that are not, that are wonderful and already there in the real, in the studio software, the, the, the overlay pattern of like seven days or 14 days or whatever, where you can see all of the lines, that's not there in Clarity. And you as, they, a, and you as a CDE need to see that. And as a CDE, and even people who are really looking at their data, they need to see that. They do have a seven-day, what is considered kind of an overlay, but it's more of a, it's more of an average and so you don't truly get to see patterns as efficiently. All right. Um, the other component is I'm a big user of the event marker in my CGM because when I download to my my studio software, I look at my day to days. You don't have I to remember that. I'm below it, and I see the events that I've marked, and I'm like, well, this is why I had the blip here. Or look at here, I took insulin, and then I decided to to take our dog for a walk. It was impromptu, and look at that, I you know, should have eaten something extra or this is what happened. But on the clarity, while the events are marked, it's not, it's not as clear. Okay. Wow. That's so good. That's really good. That my opinion is not as clear. <laughs> it's not as clear. Okay. Well, I'm sure they'll, I, I'm hoping they'll continue. They seem like a company that continues to take, they take outside, you know, yep. uh, suggestions as well. So I will make that suggestion for you tomorrow. So now it's funny. A little while ago, you were talking about speaking in front of people, yes. and you talked about adrenaline and stress. Literally 12 seconds before that, I wrote down the word adrenaline, which, as I'm looking at it now, I'm pretty sure I spelled wrong. But um, <laughs> nevertheless. But I can't see it, and you know what it says, so. Yeah. Let's all think it's just it's okay. spelled correctly. I know there's like an A in the middle or something, and it freaks me out that I don't exactly know. But nevertheless, let's forget that. Let's remember this. It took me a long time to realize, and I want to see if I'm right. That when my daughter does something activity-wise, for fun, and it's anaerobic, her blood sugar falls. If she does that same activity, and they keep score, her blood sugar goes up. And so she's a, she's a competitive person who plays competitive softball, um, you know, who plays basketball. Basketball is the one that took me a while. You bring her in a gym, and her blood sugar is 100 You've got a bolus for 15 carbs before she starts playing, or her blood sugar will be 180 halfway through. Yep, and it's great that you figured that out. I mean, that's that's typically what I say with my, with the weightlifters um, that I work with. Adrenaline will spike your blood sugar, and because weightlifting is an anaerobic, but it 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 causes that adrenaline release. Um, we typically see rises, and what I say is, see what the rise is. And cover that with the right amount of insulin to offset the rise, whether it's a bolus up front, as you found to do, or if it's an extended bolus to drip, drip, drip it in. Right. It even could be, a, I, as I'm thinking of it now, like I, 
I started this process by what I said to my wife is I'm going to bolus for a juice box because if she doesn't need it, then the insulin will do what it needs to do. And, and if for some reason the adrenaline's not here today, then the juice box will cover it because that really is interesting because she could show up one day randomly and I don't know, she thinks the team they're playing is not very good. And mm-hmm. then she doesn't feel the same spike, right. you know, of like, oh, wait, we have to go kill them, you, yeah. you know, you know um, and so, but here's the, the other thing that I think, I feel like I'm seeing, and please tell me if I'm wrong, adrenaline, while it's there, is pushing the blood sugar up. The minute the adrenaline disappears, it's not like a carb, it doesn't linger in the system. Is that true? No, because th- it that, does not. Okay. So, because, so you can, like, so it feels to me like I'm in a bad comedy and someone's <laughs> trying to shove a door in open and I'm on the inside and I'm pushing the door back. I'm the insulin pushing the door back and the adrenaline's on the other side shoving the door open. And I'm pushing, 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 pushing. And then at some point, the adrenaline leaves and I fly through the door jam and go flying across the room. Because at the end of those basketball games, if I don't drive home and have her eat, she's going to plummet. But she needed the insulin in the moment. Am I right? You're you're absolutely correct. And again, having worked with... Jenny, I am not holding my arms over my head in triumph. In case you're wondering if that's what I'm doing or not. You should be holding your arms. In I front totally of you. am. <laughs> that, and, and that's great. Again, it's, uh, it's pretty common on race day um, for, for many athletes. They have done all of their training. They've done their 20-mile-plus runs to get to their marathon length. They've had these awesome you know, training days and blood sugars. are. We've got it all keyed in. And if I don't educate them about race day, and if they have not experienced small little race day events leading up to that, their experience on race morning starts them out completely off what they normally would have started a day like that at. And the main reason is adrenaline. And so we're also very conservative with the effect of, of insulin for correcting when we talk about adrenaline. Because like you said, once that adrenaline is gone, like once you start a race, let's say, or once you kind of get into the game, um, some people find that that bump of insulin worked great. It evened them out. But like you said, if you don't feed her as soon as you get home, there's this amazing drop. Yeah. By the way, it's also a great primer, like on a a Saturday morning when the game's over and she's like, can we go to the diner and have a waffle? And I'm like, yes, this is the (laughs) perfect time for a waffle. (laughs) But then- syrup you like oh my yeah let's not even ask the lady for the sugar-free syrup this time like and so and but but yeah like so it's funny too and i and i want to bring this up to people if you plan these things out a little bit you can have these kind of like you know what what i think a lot of people want to think of as normal meals which by the way i think having a giant waffle with syrup on it's not normal but but if you but if you want to have like a normal meal um there are ways to plan the management around it so that you're not treating this like a diabetes treat. Like she doesn't need to know that right now that she can have a waffle after basketball because I had to give her a bunch of insulin for adrenaline. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it can just be a normal thing. Like, hey, let's go to the diner have a, and you can get whatever you want. Yep. You know? And so, okay. All right. So we're getting up to like 50 minutes here. Um, and I want to, I think we've covered a lot of things that are helping me and that will help people listening. I'm going to ask the big question. Um, why does 
blood sugar go up in the morning and why is it more difficult to affect in the morning hours? Yeah, so there are there are a couple of um, schools of thought and a couple of uh, more than thought, but truly um, good reasons for that insulin resistance in the morning time. Um, one of them is just relative to um, the hormones that are ready to get you going for the day. And they typically start being active between about 3 and 8 a.m. And that's that it's a bump up in your um, need for insulin. And that's just a physiologic thing that happens. If we had um, a monitor on somebody who doesn't have diabetes and we were looking at what their pancreas does to manage blood sugar as it's supposed to be through the day, we would see that normal physiologic kind of bump in that time frame. Um, so that's one. There's more insulin resistance going on due to some of those hormones. In kids, that can even be heightened because they've also got growth hormones going on, right? Um, another component to those blood sugars, especially surrounding the breakfast meal and why it can be harder. I mean, some people's insulin to carb ratios are like half of what they would be at lunch and dinner when we have a breakfast. And the main reason is some of that resistance. But another one is breakfast is really what? Breaking your fasting period from the overnight, right? And so when we break a fasting period, our stomach has um, the tendency to more rapidly process and break the food down and get it into the system because your body is saying, hey, I need to be fed. So is a, is a pre-bolus even more important in the morning? In the morning. Absolutely. Yes. I might, my typical pre-bolus for breakfast is 30 minutes. My usual <clears throat> excuse me, pre-bolus for lunch and dinner is about 15 to 20. Um, and that also is dependent on my activity and whatever happened kind of around those other meals. Sure. But usually, I mean, breakfast is typically 30 minutes. I can tell you that when I was pregnant, um, my pre-bolus for breakfast was 60 minutes. Yeah, I mean, listen, so, if Arden's blood sugar is a little high before a meal, like like, yep. like last night's a good example. Like it, she came home from, she tried out for the basketball team from school. She came home, she was hungry, but I wasn't going to have dinner ready for an hour because I was at the school standing off to the side because I wasn't sure what was going to happen at this basketball tryout. And um, and so her blood sugar had kind of jumped up to like 180. I bolused an entire meal like an hour before Okay. You, you know, because I knew that by the time the food was ready and we were eating, that that I could get that 180 down to about 75 or 80. But if I would have just bumped the 180, then I wouldn't have. I would have felt like I couldn't pre-bolus then. Like I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like it. Like there's times when I see a larger blood sugar and I'm like, let's get it down. Like let's let's time the food with the drop. And, and that it, has some reference to to knowing how her digestion is. Yeah. And the, again, the content of the meal. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, usually in high blood sugar circumstances, our best recommendation is bump the blood sugar. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you still want a bit of um, a, a bit of action on the meal, meaning a heads up before the meal, then try to pre bolus yet again. For the start of the meal, maybe ten or fifteen minutes. Okay, so I could still split that insulin, like affect you, the uh, affect the number, and still pre bolus the meal. Yep. In fact, I know you mentioned before too, kind of watching that arrow on the CGM. 
Um, and a good, a good thing when you've started by bumping a high blood sugar back down before a meal so that you're not starting to eat when it's so high, um, is kind of watching that arrow. And once you get sort of a downward trend, either on the line or with an arrow, that's then a nice time to actually do the the bolus for the meal. Right. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, Oh, wow. Jenny, we could do this all day, but that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> that wouldn't be fair to you, and it wouldn't be fair to integrated diabetes. So is is integrated diabetes, do you guys take insurance, or are you a private, just a private company? We're a private clinic, um, and so while we do not technically take insurance, we do supply billing um, so that people who are covered for educational services can then take the billing with the paid um, paid receipt from our service. They can submit it to insurance and get reimbursed. And would you say that? I mean, this isn't this isn't like psychotherapy. I don't have to do this for the rest of my life with you, right? So it's it's um, how what's the the kind of standard amount of time somebody would be with you? Yeah, most of our people. Let's see, our initial consults are pretty lengthy. They're about ninety minutes. And that's because we really take a good assessment of everything that's going on and we want to establish what are your goals? What are you what are you coming in with questions about that you specifically want answered? And then when we've looked at your logs and whatever else you've submitted to us, what do we see as needs within those goals? And then we work out typically people start with a three-month plan. Our plans are called retainers. And and the retainer for three months, there are a couple options. Um, common choice is our pump management retainer. So over a three-month time period, you would get four visits, like kind of like we're having today. Um, and the pump management includes really good information about true pump use, which most people who are on a pump um, have really not gotten good education about all those fancy features. Like you mentioned before, the temp basil. I don't know how many people I've talked to that are like, yeah, I know it's on there. I've tried it. It doesn't really seem to do anything or it does this or it doesn't do that. And when I give them the information, they're like, wow, why did nobody tell me? <laughs> yeah, the, the Dexcom too, the, all the technology really, it's, it, somebody yeah. gives you a bazooka and you're out killing flies with it. You, right. you know, and, and so like the Dexcom's like, I, I said to somebody the other day, I said, I think so many people just think the CGM's like a, like a don't die in your sleep machine. You, you know, and and the fact of the matter so is, is oh my God, there's so much more you can do with it, and really help yourself. You, you know, and 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 sometimes I think it's overwhelming and it's difficult to figure out. Plus, you know, as I'm sitting here telling you, like, I spent the time like to figure out my daughter's physiology and all this. I'm also a stay-at-home dad, so I wasn't running to work in those times. You know, if I stay up really late at night, I can, you know face plant on the sofa for 20 minutes if I'm going to pass out in the middle of the day. Like, you know, I, I have, there's reasons why I'm able to do that, you, you, you know, and for a person who gets up every day and goes to work and is still trying to take care of their children, I think sometimes good enough is the best they have, they think, you, right. you know, and if, and you, if they can get help with that. Right, right. If you have to figure it out on your own, then good enough ends up being good enough. But if someone could come in like you, who's got such a great way of presenting this, and I don't want to say spoon feed it, but maybe spoon feed it to me so that I can I can get it quickly. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of a cost up front, but at the same, I didn't have you really on to, to plug the business, but but I, I'm sure it's a little bit of a, a cost up front, but aggregated over your whole life, it's 
it's it's, it's like well nothing. Worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I said most people choose about a three month plan to begin with. But we actually have you know, um, Gary's been in business for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he has some clients who are very long term clients who have been with him since the very beginning. And while they may not be every month we visit, you know, like a typical retainer, they have one of our packages is a 12, 12 month maintenance, where we get to chat let's say four times a year, whenever something comes up, you want to talk about something, you want to bring it up or something's changed, or you're going to take a trip and you want to plan it the best. Um, They choose that so that they have the option to talk with us. And then in between, um, the nice thing about all of our retainers is unlimited ability to data dump. So you can download your pump, you can download your CGM, you can email us questions, we can help analyze in between all of those visits. And that's an ongoing process that most people do not have with their endo or even an office CDE. Hey, Jenny, I got to tell you something. At this point, if it wasn't for, if I had a, if I knew how to do a blood test for my daughter, I don't even know if I'd go anymore. Like, right. like I don't know what I, I, I get to, and listen, I've said it before, Arden goes to a, to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. It's a good institution. And these people are, I'm not saying they're slacking or anything. I'm just saying there's a there's a saturation point where I, I, they're asking me questions when I get there now. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, are you seeing this with this? Like, really? Me? Do I get to charge you $40? Like, like, like you know, like, where's my copay on this? Um, but there's a point where you're just like, there's almost like there's nothing left because they're not living with you. Correct. You know, they're not with you day to day. So even the good information they have, they don't really know how to apply it to your situation. Right. Yeah. I actually found that, you know, we lived um, we lived out in D.C. Um, for eight years prior to moving to Wisconsin here. And um, having worked out there and lived out there and also had um, clinicians who served me, um, you know, I I looked and looked and looked for a clinician who could answer my questions to my to my ability. Because I have, I know that I've got a lot more because of my background as well as my personal experience, right? Um, but I needed a clinician who could meet me and go beyond that. And it it took me, I think I, I, I wouldn't say fired, but I met with, you know, worked with, and I was like, you know what, you're just, you're basic and I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, I need a little more than this, please. No, I, I that, you know? that really, it does really make sense to me. I think you do have to, and especially adults, from what I understand, it's harder to find a, a good endo as an adult than it is. It is. I, I would say for adults, even for kids who are getting into the teen years and looking into moving from pediatric to adult endo coverage, I always think the best thing for endos, um, for adult endos, is ask them when you call to make the appointment, how many people in your practice, what percent of people with type 1 do you see? Because, you know, we know that the wealth of people with type 2, with, with diabetes, is, are pretty much type 2. We are not the mass majority. And I don't need you to write me a metformin prescription, so I'm... Yes. Yeah, I need a little more from you than, than you writing me scripts and telling me to watch my diet. Right. I need right. you to know how to download my pump, how to look at the information, how to pick out data and see things that I'm not seeing because I'm looking at my data. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. That's excellent. Oh, Jenny, this was good. Good. You are great, first of all. Well, Secondly... It was awesome talking to you. Like I said, I've, I've, I've read you know your blog before. I didn't realize that you were doing podcasts, so... 
Uh, this is fabulous. Yeah, it really does. It's a great way to reach people. I, reading is almost completely extinct in the world, um, as I'm <laughs> wondering about writing a book. Um, and so, well, Ginger and I are writing a book too, so hopefully that's not the case. I know it's so. Um, so when I heard Ginger was pregnant, I sent her a private email and I was like, "You have to document this whole thing and write a book about it." And she goes, "I'm way ahead of you, buddy." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so, um, so here's an interesting like kind of ending to this. We are 55 minutes in since I gave Arden her insulin for her lunch and her blood sugar is 75. Okay. And it's drifting. I'm seeing it. It's crawling up, not enough to move the arrow. Yep. But it's it, just that there's a slow drift. It's yep. just slowly drifting up. And now, right. and now I won't know. The funny thing is, is I won't know how well we did with this for another 40 minutes. If this wasn't enough insulin for, for some reason, I'll know 40 minutes from now. Right. You know, but, but what I try to avoid and what I tell people all the time is, is that in this range, this hour range, if her blood sugar was going up now, you know, I would be giving her more insulin. And I, that goes against anything a doctor would tell you. But, yeah. it, but if her blood sugar is over 160 an hour after she ate, I feel like I've made some sort of an error in calculation. You know, it just, it shouldn't, it shouldn't get that. It doesn't have to get that high. And that's where, again, clinical recommendations lack because you've seen and you've tracked and you know enough about like her physiology, her physiology, her digestion, the food that you fed her, um, you know enough about it to actually be proactive. Yeah. It's just, and that's the shame of it is there's so many people and if, if, listen, whoever's listening, listen to what I'm saying here. First, let's remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be taken as advice, medical or otherwise. And I am not a doctor, but go to your doctor and check with them. Absolutely, yes. go to your doctor and check. But you do not live your life with a with a guy saying to you, "Here, let me bump your um your basal around a little bit." All right, come back in three months. We'll see what right. happens. You do not want to wait three months to see if this worked or not. No, and that's again, that's the that's the deficit that we're kind of filling with integrated is because we have so. We have such close contact. It's uh, some of my clients email me almost every single day, especially my pregnancy clients. Mm -hmm. um, and you're unfortunately you're not going to get that at an endo office. They don't have the time. Yeah, it's um, it's it's of all the odd things. Insurance is the biggest problem yes. for people to get good help because, like you said, nobody has the time to give to you. You know, if a doctor builds you for for what you guys are doing, it costs me a million dollars to know how to use my basal rates, and right. you know. Uh, all right. See, now we're in a problem. I could just keep talking to you. This has to stop, Jenny. <laughs> stop it. Stop being delightful for five seconds so we can okay, say goodbye, please. All right, everyone. Say goodbye to Jenny. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much. Hey, if you're interested, I have a give. Uh, a, hey, if you're interested, I have a giveaway going on on my blog right now, Ardensday.com. Two winners will receive 10 pairs of the Blue Diabetes Circle shoelaces. I don't know if you've seen them online, but they're shoelaces adorned with different blue circles for Diabetes Awareness Month. Um, they're courtesy of Novo Nordisk. And um, all you do is go and there's a bunch of different ways to enter and then there'll be a drawing and two, two winners will be taken randomly. U.S. residents only, please. If you are enjoying the Juice Box podcast, go to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, tell a friend, do something to help spread the word about the podcast. And here's an interesting note. Um, it is now two hours and 35 minutes since Arden got her 
pre-bolus for lunch at school. She's actually on a bus now on her way home, and her Dexcom has her blood sugar at 124. Uh, that is about as high as it went in the last two hours and 35 minutes. All right. Until next week, uh, when we'll be talking to the gentleman who designs the software and apps for Dexcom, I will uh, talk to you later. Come back next week to hear all about that.